Welcome to MCC from the Capitol, a podcast produced by the Missouri Catholic Conference. We invite you to listen along as our host and executive director, Tyler McClay, chats with experts about public policy issues from a Catholic perspective. We hope you enjoyed this episode of MCC from the Capitol. Welcome to the Missouri Catholic Conference from the Capitol podcast where we take a deeper look at the social and political issues facing Missouri and the Catholic Church and how those issues impact public policy. Today, we are going to focus on civility and public discourse and how that can help us prepare for the upcoming election. The American Heritage Dictionary defines civility as politeness or courtesy, words we don't often associate today with politics. Rather, it seems that in politics today, a lack of civility is the order of the day. It isn't uncommon in today's civil discourse, for example, to see people literally screaming at each other rather than engaging in true dialogue. So how do we recapture a sense of civility? Last year, the U.S. bishops began a campaign called Civilize It, Dignity Beyond the Debate. The campaign calls for people to take the civility pledge. This pledge has three parts. Number one, civility, number two, clarity, and number three, compassion. Civility is a pledge to recognize the human dignity of those with whom we disagree, to treat others with respect, and to rise above attacks when those attacks are directed at us. Clarity is a pledge to root our political viewpoints in the gospel and a well-formed conscience. This involves prayer, conversation, study, and listening. Compassion is a pledge to encounter others with a tone and a posture which affirms the dignity of others, presuming others' best intentions and striving to understand rather than to be understood. In the divided nation in which we find ourselves, this civilized campaign comes at a very opportune time. We could all use a little civility today. Joining me today to discuss this further are MCC staffers Rita Linhart and Jamie Morris. Hello, Jamie and Rita. Hello. Hello. Also joining us is our special guest, newly appointed St. Louis Archbishop Mitchell Rosansky. Welcome, Archbishop, to the Show Me State, and thanks for joining us today. Good to be with you today. Well, great. We're so happy to have you here. I, I won't ask you where you went to high school, but I'm wondering if anyone has introduced you yet to toasted ravioli. I have had toasted ravioli and I've had ribs. All right. So well, good, good. Month, I think that's pretty good. That is good. That's good for a month. Well, I think we would all agree that uh, our political discourse has reached a new low. It also seems people are really on edge with the COVID virus and all the social isolation that it has brought. And this seems to really have exacerbated our divided nation. Rita, I want to start with you. You've been at the conference over 30 years. How have you seen the political rhetoric change since you've been here? Thank you, Tyler. The difference between now and 30 years ago is back then, I think people had time to build relationships with people they were working with. Term limits hadn't really gone into effect yet in Missouri, so there were representatives and senators who could spend 15, 20, even 30 years in the same chamber. That allowed them time to build relationships with their colleagues, to get to know their families, their interests, to build the type of friendships that are really rare in politics today. 
Now, of course, there were philosophical differences between the parties, but a lot of times the debates were what I would call theater or, or pretend outrage. I, I've seen this where one minute legislators would be arguing on the chamber floor and the next minute joking out in the halls. But I, I think that goes back to the importance of friendships and respect for one another. Um, another thing that is different about then and now is back then a new legislator wasn't really expected to know much or do anything his first year. Now freshman legislators are expected to handle bills right away because of, of term limits. They really don't have the luxury of waiting. Right away they're expected to play partisan politics. That's an interesting development. Jamie, you're new to this game, uh, having been at the conference just two years now. What what has surprised you the most about coming and working in this area? I don't know if it's been a complete surprise, but uh, I, I think in, I have been surprised by sort of just how far uh, the extent to which political discourse has sort of fallen uh, in recent years. And and I've always you know, followed politics, but kind of being in it now these last couple of years, it, it really has just shined a light on on how far that's fallen. And and I would say I'm not even really necessarily speaking about what happens over at the Capitol, because I agree with, with kind of what Rita had said that, you know, I, I think a lot of times that legislators from both sides of the aisle really do ultimately, you know, have some level of friendship or, or, or know where the others are coming from. But just your average citizen, uh, whether it be in committee hearings or, you know, I, I don't have to tell you all that, you know, you look at your social media feeds and, Looking at your your three points you raised earlier, you know you look at compassion, uh, encountering others with a tone and posture which one affirms the dignity of others, or two presumes uh, presumes others' best interest. That's not really what I'm seeing much these days uh, when it comes to debating issues and, and policies, and we, we've lost that ability, I think, to to kind of assume that the other individual is operating in good faith. You know, let's say, Tyler, you and I have a disagreement on some sort of policy issue. Well, it can't possibly be because you or I are operating in good faith, trying to reach the same ultimate good, but just have different opinions on how to get there. No, it must mean that you're a socialist or I'm a fascist or a communist or pick your ist at this point. And you, you can't, there's no way to even have a reasonable discussion on some of these difficult issues when everyone assumes that there are bad intentions of the uh, other individual, or just refuses at all to believe that that there's other opinions out there that could be valid or that someone may have a good faith reason for believing the way they do. Archbishop, you've been a bishop since 2004 and a priest before that. How have you seen our political discourse deteriorate? Well, I remember all the way back to the days of uh, President Ronald Reagan and Speaker of the House Tip O'Neill. And certainly they had different approaches to things politic. However, even with those vastly different approaches and philosophies, they still could speak with one another civilly. They still could sit down and have a beer together. They were able to speak to one another in a very respectful way. And over these 30 years, and I attribute it to... Uh, our sense of rugged individualism, uh, where people feel they have to distinguish themselves from one another uh, all the time, there has been such a lack of respect for the other's viewpoint and opinion. And then there's the tendency to demonize the other person 
for what opinion they're holding. So I guess I've seen that, I won't say evolve, I will say devolve since 30, 40 years ago uh, in experiencing politics back then. I think devolve is a good word for it. Let's let's move on to the civilized campaign, Archbishop. Um, what what prompted that campaign, and did you have any any part in, in starting it? Well, all of us bishops have a part in faithful citizenship, in uh, putting it together and making suggestions uh, for what should be in that document. But all of us as bishops too uh, recognize the lack of civility that has happened over the years and how detrimental it is for uh, our country and our political process. Uh, When people cannot talk to one another respectfully, there's no way to move forward. Everybody complains about the gridlock in Washington uh, and in different areas of the country. But when we cannot talk to one another or listen to one another, how do we expect that anything can happen? So Civilize It is bringing us back to the part of our history where we know we can disagree, but at least we can speak about it and be able to have a conversation, hear out the other's viewpoints, don't cut them off, Uh, be able to listen to another person and his or her viewpoints without cutting him or her off. So Civilize It is bringing back us back to really our roots as a nation when debate, respectful dialogue uh, really did get things done. And we need to get so much done today that we need to civilize it. There's no doubt that we have real problems in the country that we need to address. And and the lack of civility um, prevents us in many cases from coming together to come come with solutions. You know, the pledge, the civilized pledge, has three parts, and it it seems at, at its core, Archbishop, to be grounded in this notion of the dignity of our fellow human, our fellow citizen. Um, how would recognizing the dignity of our fellow man make a difference in regard to civility, Archbishop? It makes a huge difference, because when we look at the other person, even if the other person may disagree with us on certain things, If we look upon that person as a human being made in the image of God, then we cannot demonize the person merely for their viewpoints. So recognizing the human dignity that each one of us have, that each one of us is given the ability to think and to philosophize and to uh, clarify our opinions, recognizing that in the other person means opening ourselves up to hearing the other person out and not demonize them. So that's an important part of what is needed today in our political process, but also in our civil dialogue anywhere. You mentioned demonizing the other person, and I think um, Rita and Jamie and I probably could all come up with examples of people that have done that on social media, for example, or even even in emails that we received, you know, I, I remember receiving an email recently and I wrote the gentleman back and I said, you know, please remember that there are human beings at the other end of your email that, that have feelings and that take these issues seriously. And, you know, I hope you rec- you know, that I think that gets to your point, doesn't it, Archbishop, about 
when you're having a conversation, recognizing that the other person is a thinking, feeling human being as well. It certainly is. And it helps us uh, to remember that this person, too, has thought through their position on different issues. And we respect the way that that person has come to their conclusions. But we, we also have to realize that the other person is a human being, just like we are, created in the image of God. And when we realize that, then we can't demonize the person because of their position, even if it is different from ours. Rita and Jamie, have you seen this as well in your interactions with, you know, email, internet, that that kind of forum? I've seen that as well. And I think it gets kind of back to, you know, all of us should be on the same page on on some, not, not on the issues, but but as Catholics and as Christians. And, you know, and I've been just as guilty of this as, as, as others, you know, we get sometimes so tied either into, you know, our personal beliefs on these or our biases, or quite frankly, you know, a lot of what we do now in politics is sort of team red, team blue. And so we get so focused on that, that that kind of becomes primary over our faith and, and we treat it as such. And, and that, you know, then leads us to, as I said earlier, always kind of assuming the worst from someone else. Right. And I would say that a lot of times people, when they're speaking to each other, they get defensive right away and the, and, and the rancor and everything else. And, and so I think it's important to just listen to each other right now, rather than we like to talk past each other and not really hear the other person. So I, I think that's important. I agree. A, a good dialogue is still a good dialogue. And, and it's, it's it, you know, part, of, part of speaking is listening, right? And that's half of it. The second part of the Civilized Pledge calls for us to root our political viewpoints in the gospel. Archbishop, I was thinking, you know, politics and elections are temporal matters, uh, and the church is first and foremost concerned with eternal and spiritual matters. How can we as Catholics begin to see that rooting our political viewpoints in the light of the gospel is a spiritual exercise as much as it is a political one? That's a great, great question. And as Catholics, we believe in the mandate of Jesus in the Gospels. Uh, Jesus told us that as we have cared uh, for the least of our brothers, then we have cared for him. And Jesus also said to his apostles right before his ascension, go out and teach all nations. And we believe that we are not of the world, but we are in the world. We are committed to our heavenly home, but at this present time, we live in the place where God has created us to build up his kingdom here on earth. So the spiritual and the temporal uh, in our lifetimes here are so tied together, and we have to make the love of God concrete in the world. So it really is a spiritual exercise in forming our consciences, being informed about the issues, being informed about the candidates, so that when we do go into the voting booth, we bring our values there and we're able to vote based on those values after prayer, after discernment, and after helping ourselves to be informed about the issues. 
Well, I think the campaign does a good job in clarifying that, uh, you know, forming a conscience, you know, calls for prayer, conversation, study, and listening. And those are things that are integral to doing that. Isn't that correct, Archbishop? It is. It is. And that's, that's, um, that's part of our spiritual life, discernment, being able to discern what the Lord's will for us reading the Gospels, reading sacred scriptures, and praying upon those sacred scriptures that help to inform us what we need to do in the world to build up God's kingdom. And in being able to do that discernment, we really acknowledge the spiritual part of our humanity, of of that divine spark that God has placed in us uh, as human beings so that we can reflect his love in our world. Bishop, you mentioned earlier the the Forming Consciences for Faithful Citizenship. Um, This is a document the bishops have issued again for the coming election, and and there is included with that an introductory note for this coming election, which is going to be published in each of the diocesan newspapers coming here up in the next couple of weeks. Um, So I encourage people to take a look at that. There's also information. We have our messenger that we've inserted into those papers, which includes that introductory note along with information about absentee voting and mail-in voting, and also information about how you can um, find out more about what candidates are, or what positions they're taking on various issues. So I encourage people to look at that. But Archbishop, tell us a little more about faithful citizenship and, and how that's important for forming conscience and also for uh, encouraging civility. Faithful citizenship, we believe, for Catholics is a guideline to approaching uh, deciding on how to vote. And it's based in Catholic social teaching. I think one of the church's best kept secrets is Catholic social teaching. So first of all, based in the human dignity of each person, recognizing that the gift of life is the greatest thing that God gives to each one of us. And that because of the gift of life given to us, we are endowed with that human dignity. So it's based in, Catholic social teaching is based in our human dignity. Secondly, when we go to vote, we look for the common good. Jesus teaches us in the gospel that we look out not merely for self, but that we are called to look out for others. And when we inform our consciences and our minds about What is the common good for our fellow citizens and us in the country? Then we have a very broad perspective on how we can vote. It gives, it informs us really on a total spectrum of what we need to be informed on in voting. Thirdly, the concept of solidarity, that we are called to be part of this world together. And we are in solidarity with one another. We may not agree with one another, but we are in solidarity with one another. And that concept of solidarity helps to inform us as we go into the voting booth. Also, the concept of subsidiarity. Subsidiarity means that decisions that are closest to the people who are involved are made at the local levels. 
So when we go into an election, we vote for national offices, such as president, but we also vote for those local offices that help to govern our state, uh, our towns, our counties, and we look at how our local issues uh, approach there and how is that part of subsidiarity. So faithful citizenship really takes on uh, a whole spectrum of what it means to be able to uh, go into the voting booth with a fully informed conscience. And how, Archbishop, would you say forming your conscience is a, an important part of learning how to engage with civility? Um, why is that so important? It is crucial because if we have a fully informed conscience, we can explain in a civilized way where we stand on issues. And we can explain how our faith enlightens our stance on those issues. So a fully formed conscience is crucial uh, for us as Catholics when we are approaching not only the voting booth, but when we're approaching so many things in life. But a fully informed conscience also allows us to see the human dignity in the other person. And in seeing the dignity in the other person and respecting them as being created in the image and likeness of God, then we cannot but help to be respectful in our dialogue, in our disagreements, and in the way that we speak to one another. I think that's very well said. Because, you know, when you're when you're learning about the perspectives of another person, it's harder to be uh, vilifying them, correct? I mean, that's kind of the idea. Correct. Well, Archbishop, I know, I know that there's a lot of people that are really anxious about this election, and I'm sure you're hearing about these concerns as well. Can you leave us with any reassuring thoughts as we head into another election season? As we approach this November and the elections and uh, the after effects of, of the elections, we also think about each one of us are Catholics. Each one of us who profess to be Catholic contributes to building up our society. We work with one another the day after the elections. We're able to bring the kingdom of God to others by our example and by our response to God's love. So that does not change. Political candidates change, those who are elected can change, but the call that we have basically to be the image of God here on earth, to build up God's kingdom here, does not change. So the work of the kingdom stays in season and out. It, it always is part of us who are Catholic. And that never that work never really ends, does it? It does not end until Jesus returns again. Right. And, we, and it'd be good for us to be busy working on bringing his kingdom here, wouldn't it? That's really, we're, we're charged to do that. We are indeed. The Civilized Pledge is available on the USCCB website, and we're also going to have it available on our MCC website so that you can get involved and, and take that pledge. And as we head into this election season, I know each of us in some ways probably look forward to it to being over and kind of dreading going through the process, but it's something we, we have to go through as living in a democracy 
And we hope that um, you've enjoyed this podcast and that you will find time to to look into the Civilized uh, Pledge as well as looking into forming consciences for faithful citizenship and taking the time to to get your conscience formed, properly formed to go into the voting booth this November. So, Archbishop, I want to thank you for joining us today. Thanks, Rita and Jamie. Um, maybe, Archbishop, would you give us a blessing as we head out? Sure. Lord, our God, your Son promised to us to be with us always, even till the end of time. Your Son, too, promised to send the Holy Spirit, which was fulfilled on the day of Pentecost. We ask, Lord, that we open our hearts and our minds to your Holy Spirit. Help us to build up your kingdom here on earth. May we treat each other as images that you have created in our world. May we treat one another with dignity and respect. And remember that you call us to work together to build up your kingdom. May we go forth with your blessing in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. 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 Thanks, Archbishop. Thanks, Reed and Jamie, for joining us today. No problem. Thank you. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed listening to this episode of MCC from the Capitol. To hear more from the Missouri Catholic Conference, visit our website at mocatholic.org. That's mocatholic.org. Or subscribe to this podcast on Spotify.